Recorded live. And welcome to episode 287 of the Michigan Sports Truth Postgame Edition on TalkShoot. Taylor Phillips, Frank Bajner, and Buck Gino, and Lewis Tenor, all with you guys. Follow me on Twitter at DT2Phillips. Follow Frank Bajner at underscore Bajner. Follow Buck Gino at Buck Gino the third. That's I in the numerals. Like the Michigan Sports. Like the Michigan Sports Truth Facebook page and join its Facebook group. How's everyone doing? Frank, Buck, Lewis, how are y'all doing? We're okay. Doing well. Yes. Very good. Awesome. Let's uh, touch on the Red Wings first. We've got Red Wings, Pistons, Lions, and Tigers to touch on here. But the Red Wings and the Bruins right now are seeking to get veteran defenseman Trevor Daly. And and what I see, Trevor Daly has played for a long time. He's, pro- he's probably another old veteran that, that Ken Holland is trying to go for. And he's a defenseman, too, but... Still, you know, just a just a, just an old veteran. Well, here, here's what here's what I have to say about Daly, and I did happen to see something from Elliot Friedman of CBC and Sportsnet in Canada that he's heard that the Wings have had talks with Daly, and apparently, for what it's worth, have been closing in on reaching an agreement to a deal. I mean. But, of course, that means nothing until the pen is put to paper. But, I mean, granted, this is a team that does need help on their blue line. And is it a great market for a defenseman? No. I mean, you're not you're not going to find a Norris Trophy winner out there. You're not going to find a true number one. Now, granted, would Trevor Daly be an upgrade over what the Wings currently have? Yeah. But then, again, that's not saying much as – there's really nobody who would probably be nothing higher than a four at best, and that would be Nick Jensen. Daly, to me, is – he's about a three or a four. I mean, he can provide – I think he can provide some stability. He, I mean, he he is – I mean, he's been nicked up in his career. But I'd expect – I mean, I'd expect him to at least kind of provide a little bit more of a, a – calming voice in the locker room, provide some leadership. Yes, I mean, ideally, if I if I was in Ken Holland's shoes, I'd probably sign for not more than a couple of years at maybe, and not more than an annual average of three and a half million. And just, I'd try and go for a low risk deal. But then again, this ain't a great market for a defenseman. So that's probably going to drive the price up. Now, if you're looking to get somebody who would be a low-risk option and provide some stability, I think maybe somebody like a Ron Hainsey out of Pittsburgh would be a wise choice. I mean, and also if you're and if you're looking to add a forward, I believe it was in the the Athletics Detroit. I believe it was a piece by Craig Custance. He suggested possibly giving Mikhail Grigorenko from the Avalanche, a one-year prove-it deal, because Grigorenko in 2013, he was a high draft pick of the Buffalo Sabres, and they said he was going to be pretty good. Well, apparently, he didn't really pan out, but he had nothing to work with, and he also had some stuff between the ears as well. 
So I think, and I think my my belief is Ken Holland shouldn't sign to anybody. But if you want to go and sign somebody, do like last year what you did with Thomas Vanek. Give somebody a one-year, low-risk, prove-it deal. Say, you know what, I'm going to give you an opportunity to prove yourself. If you're productive, I mean, hey, maybe down the road we might keep you. But if you're not cutting it, then there's the door. Don't let it hit you on the ass on the way out. See you. Well, Normally you know, it's out, too. Yeah, I, I agree with Frank and when you say that they really don't need to go out and, and take a risk on a free agent because at this point I'd rather see them play the guys that are already there and maybe move somebody else up from Grand Rapids if there's an injury. Um, you know, they, they just signed Ben Street and Dylan McElrath a two-year, two-way contract, which pretty much they'll be guarantees that they'll be in Grand Rapids for the next two seasons barring any injuries. Um, but you know, Trevor Daly is kind of at the end of his his time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he 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 was a six, he was a third pair defenseman on the Penguins, and he did what he had to do. Uh, I don't really think the Detroit Red Wings, even though they need to improve on defense, I don't think getting Trevor Daly is going to be an answer. Simply because I would rather see them develop somebody that they already have in the system, and that's kind of going back to the point that we've made time and time again that, that Ken Howland just he gets these prospects or these, these young kids in the system and then he doesn't trust them to play and he never finds out how good they are. Well, last year they had the opportunity to audition a couple of guys, Nick Jensen being one who ended up turning a contract. And I think that this year Robbie Russo or Joe Hicketts should be allowed to audition for that last spot or to, to make themselves known to the front office by performing in front of them in the regular season. So I, I really don't know where Trevor Daly is, is going to make you better um, overall. What it really makes me think, and this is something that really hasn't been talked about a whole lot, it really makes me think that they don't think Nick Cronwall is going to be coming back um, because there's really no reason to sign another defenseman to fill a spot that isn't there because they already have seven on the roster if Nick Cronwall is going to come back. So it leads me to believe, and this is completely only just my speculation, I, I think that they probably know something that we don't, and that's something to do with Nick Cronwall not coming back and playing because his knees are, are pretty well shot. He, could, he couldn't play back-to-backs last year. And, I mean, at this point for him, I think really it would be a smart move if he just came down with a quote-unquote career-ending injury sat on long-term injured reserve and let the Red Wings move on from that contract as well until it expires. Yeah, I agree with you on that, Buck. I think we have seen the last of Cronwall in Detroit, and because of his injury, I think they're just going to LTIR him so that way his career can end and they avoid having to pay a cap recapture penalty. But here's something else to think about. I mean, I've, I mean, I've just heard maybe guys like Prashant Iyer just throw this around. What about possibly buying out Jonathan Erickson? I mean, granted, he is atrocious. I mean, is it better to keep him on the roster or just pay him to not play at all? Well, and when you buy him out, you're talking about, you know, we've seen it before with Stephen Weiss and, Michael Samuelson and other guys that have been bought out, they still carry that cap hit. 
And I think that if they do buy out somebody like an Erickson or, or somebody else of that ilk, they're still going to have some of them on the books. So it really doesn't yeah. get them a whole, a whole lot farther. I mean, if you're going to buy out those guys, you've got to be committed to an all-out chain. And I, what I mean by that is you're bringing guys up from Grand Rapids to play significant minutes and basically saying we're, we're really committed to rebuilding. We're going to get rid of all these pieces. We're going to come in with a bunch of young kids. We're going to be high on the cap because we have these, these numbers that we just can't get off the books. But really what we're, what we're working towards is, is getting this rebuilt. And I think if Holland was committed to that, which he will never do, that's when you would buy out Erickson. Right now I don't see them doing that. So I think Erickson stays, and your real only hope of, of getting him off the books is kind of the same thing with the Cronwall, and that's just that's an injury buyout or an injury um, uh, situation where he's not able to play anymore, and then they leave him on the bus. Yeah. Well, let me explain real quick how the uh, buyouts work in the NHL per the CBA. Is that you take two thirds of their an, of their annual average, like in Erickson's case, he makes four. He makes four and a quarter million dollars. Four and a quarter, four and a half million. So, and I believe he's got. I, want to, I thought it was two years, but then I read it was three. So you total that up, and then that would be do some quick math here about thirteen and a half million. So about two thirds of that would be roughly. You're talking maybe about eight and a half. Yeah, eight and a half million. Thank you. I don't have a calculator in front of me oh. right now. And then that would be spread out over over double the term. So it would be spread out over six years. So eight and a half over six years, that's like a million and change spread out over six years. Now, right. with three years left, I don't think it's a good idea. But when two years left, and then you have nine million, then you have $6 million spread out over four years, which is like a million and a quarter. And I believe – and that's really not that much because I want – I think Steve, the Stephen Weiss buyout, which happened, I believe it was two years ago today, if I'm not mistaken, that's got four more years on it. So I think if you have – so have a third year, and then maybe for three years you have that – you have all that dead money, which would only total up to probably about a little bit less than $3 million. I mean, granted, that's, it's not good to have dead money, but still – just having three years against the cap doesn't hurt as bad as having 10% of the salary cap you know, that's it. Right. No, and I agree with you. I think it's just that if they were going to buy out Erickson, I think that, that would lead me to believe that they're going to rebuild simply because they're opening up a roster spot. It's not as much as they're spending money for somebody not to play. It's the fact that they're opening up another roster spot for somebody to be there so they can play. Yeah. Obviously, that wouldn't yeah. be somebody they could replace monetarily because they, they're still having that dead money and there's not a lot of room for them under the cap as it is. But, I mean, to buy out somebody is basically saying we're looking to go to another direction. And like and like I said before, and we've all said it, Ken Holland's just not going to do that. Um, that said, looking at the free agent class, it's real thin. I mean, Detroit really doesn't have anything that they would be able to, to get in free agency that they really need because what they need to do is lose and, and gain high draft picks so that they can continue to build that base of talent. 
Um, but I think if they were going to do anything, and we saw it last year with Thomas Vanek, is getting a, a forward on a cheap deal because I think that they really believe that the forwards that they have on the roster are probably more susceptible to getting moved out than the defense. And the defense rotation is pretty well set. I mean, there's seven guys plus a couple of guys down in Grand Rapids that are pretty well ready to take on limited roles. In the forward sense, though, I mean, Evgeny Seshnikov should compete. Tyler Bertuzzi could compete. And I think if they're going to look at somebody like a Mikhail Grigorenko, I really think that that spells the end for somebody else because there's only so many spots on the team, and they have a lot of guys that are going to be competing for a couple of different spots. Yeah. But I, th- I think also, I mean, I mean kind of trying to fast forward to next year, I mean, this is Ken Holland's final year of his contract, and let's let's just say for the sake of argument that best-case scenario, he does not get re- re-signed. Hold on. Fine. So I think Hopefully. probably at that at that point, yeah. you do you see that's when real wholesale changes start getting made. Well, that this is what we uh, hope hope that hope would happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I I I do too. I mean, because I'm. I mean, I, you, got, you guys know as well as anybody else, I'm at the end of my rope with Ken Holland. And if he's going into his contract here, and I don't think any sane, any sane front office would hand him a contract extension given that what's he done lately that's been beneficial. And the answer is nothing. Absolutely. Absolutely nothing. So... I mean, granted, free agency on Saturday. At this point, at this point, I think all we can just hope for is that nobody gets signed to a bad contract. And I mean, I don't even—I don't even know if this team has any pending unrestricted free agents besides Drew Miller, and I can't see them bringing him back after they waived him last year. Well, yeah, we, the, we still I mean, they have. This. With the Red Wings, either I can either. Well, and they have guys that are ready to move into spots. I mean, at some point, yeah. you you got to keep you got to stop signing guys that are veteran forwards or veteran players on cheap deals because you don't want to bring guys up. And that's been the main point for me. I understand that you can't just run the whole Griffins roster up there and expect them to do well. And that's not really what I'm asking for. But I mean, no. I, I can't sit by and, and let them re-sign a guy like a Drew Miller or somebody else that's similar when they have a guy like Evgeny Smeshnikov who they picked in the first round two seasons ago and is ready for at least limited duty. I mean, I'm not, I'm not advocating that they put him in the top six and run him on the first power play unit, but I'm saying they, they've got to get him up there in a larger sample size and see what development he needs to undergo. Um, you know, it, it, that's the same thing they've done with Manta and Double A. Is they've brought them up for a taste, they sent them back down to work on some things, and they've brought them back up, and now those guys are going to be fixtures in the lineup for quite some time. They need to do the same thing with more players. Now there will be guys probably like us or similar to us that bellyache when Sveshnikov gets sent down eventually. 
because that's probably going to happen if he does start the season with the big club. But they have a bunch of guys that they cannot send down to Grand Rapids without exposing them to waivers either. So uh, you look at this roster situation, and they're clogged with guys, but, and again, the, the, on the whole, they're, they're really not that great. So I would rather see them put the kids up that are ready to, to show what they can do and give them some things to, to work on back in Grand Rapids rather than signing veterans and just sending the kids down to play in Grand Rapids the whole year. Yeah. Because, because look, we've we've seen it the last few years. They will they will cater to guys who don't carry their water. See Dan Cleary. That's why Gustav Nyquist had to start the year in Grand Rapids in 2013 because everybody wanted to have Cleary back, and he wasn't that great. And I really thought that's where where, where they really messed up. I mean, Grand a lot Nyquist. Of Red, a lot of Red Wings fans wanted Cleary back back because uh, they 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 just don't get it for some reason. Well, the, I mean, it wasn't that he was a. It's not that he was like a a complete. He was a complete jerk or anything of that nature. No. The fact that he was. I mean, I think. I think when. I I think I had said around that time. I said, you know, it's fifty fifty whether he should be back or not. I mean, granted, he did well in the playoffs, but given the fact that you have younger guys who are ready to take over, it's probably best that you let him go. And they didn't do that. And they kept. And again, they kept bringing him back on some alleged handshake agreement, and and didn't want and they didn't want to let him go. And then of course he tried. Everyone, of course, the organization tries to shine him up when he's down in Grand Rapids, even though he didn't do shit down there. And plus, you know, it's also, and it's also guys like Jonathan Erickson who make bad plays, yet seemingly don't get anything from the coaching staff, but we saw younger defensemen like Brendan Smith or Xavier Ouellette who would make mistakes, and they're in the press box. Well, Brendan Smith has apparently made enough mistakes that he got a four-year deal from the New York Rangers. So that's one of those things where you look at the organization and how they treated Brendan Smith, yet there's another team that, granted, New York is an older team. They're probably not as aimed towards success as they were a couple years ago. But that said, they felt good enough about him in his small time there to give him a four-year deal. Now, is part of that because Dan Girardi got bought out and they needed another guy? Yeah. But at the same time, again, Detroit didn't want him on their roster at all, which is why they made the trade last spring to get something for him because they were going to probably let him walk, even though the chatter was that they want, they really wanted him back. There's no reason that he would come back to that team after the way he treated him. Yeah. So, I mean, they been, I, I mean, he was, he, I mean, in a sense, he was the team's whipping boy. And I know granted, I mean, I'm kind of going back to the whole Swedish mafia story that, uh, was written by Jeff Moss of the Detroit Sports Rag, how Zetterberg was trying to be like LeBron James and make all the decisions. And, I mean, when we all and look, do we all disagree that, that Zetterberg, I mean, this year he, he was a lot better. But how soon is it going to be until we see, until the, somebody steps in and has to pull a Joe Thornton or a Patrick Marlowe and take the C away from him 
and tell him, look, you're not an elite player in this league. You're not Sidney Crosby. You're not Jonathan Tate. You're not Connor McDavid, fuck's sake. You can't be going around town and having all your buddies come up and play, paying all this, that, and the other. And I, honestly, and I said it last year, too. Zetterberg needs to lose the fee and give it to Dylan Larkin. Well, I mean, Dylan Larkin, he's, he's a young guy. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, he's, well, he can he can score. Yeah, he can. He's a good tripper. Well, and he, he's a easier second line winger. I don't I mean, mind. I mean, I, I think that for Detroit to, to get better, they're going to have to draft high. I mean, that's that's going to be the way that they have to go about it because they don't have really number one players. They don't have a really a first-line center. They have guys that are masquerading and such because they've got a bunch of middle six forwards and they've got to play somebody on the first line. But, I mean, right now the talent level just isn't there. And, again, talking about free agency, what are they going to gain in free agency? They're not going to gain a first-line center. So there's no reason to really sign anybody else because they have second, third, fourth lines guy in spades. So to sign another one of those players is counterproductive. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, and honestly, I hope next year they have a high enough draft pick where I believe uh, Evgeny Svechnikov's little brother, Andre, he's expected to be one of the top picks in the 2018 draft. I mean, I don't think if they end up landing him, you have both Vestikov brothers, I mean, is that, I don't think, I don't know if it would be like the second, I don't think it's going to be the second coming of the Sabine twins, but, I mean, at least you have got, well, at least you have two guys who were highly touted. Maybe they could be the next faces of the franchise down the road. Who knows? I mean, it's a long ways off, guys, but I mean, I'm at the, it's at the point right now, you just hope that it doesn't get ran any more further into the ground than it already is. Right. Except except when Ken Holland's the general manager, he's he's always going to be the same as he was, as he has been lately. And therefore, you'd have to hope that the Red Wings like hit rock bottom. And, I mean, uh, make make a, I mean, make a to, pull out to of me, Ken Holland. To me, it seems like they're. To me, it seems like they're already there. I mean, what? There. I mean, I know they didn't finish dead last and be as bad, weren't as bad as Colorado was, but I mean, it's because me, they won it's, meaningless games. Yeah, they did. And you know, to me, that, fe- that to me that feels even worse because there's a big difference between a team like, let's say, hey, a new like how New Jersey or I know. Team like that was versus the Red Wings because they're you know teams that hey we know we're bad but we're actually but we understand we got to get better guys and we're doing that we're playing the young guys we're trying to get them experienced so we can be better down the road unlike the Red Wings where they're stuck going nowhere and they have the same antiquated ideas that they're just stuck to. 
for stupid, re- obnoxious reasons. I thought the Devils were worse. Well, yeah, well, yeah, but to me it seems like. But look, the Devils have ended up getting the first top pick with Nico Heischer. And, I mean, I'll just use that as an example. I mean, you have teams like that that, I mean, in, for, for instance, like in basketball, the Philadelphia 76ers. I love using them as an example. Their whole deal with trusting the process. It's what they have essentially admitted that, yeah, we were bad. And we have, but we're actually taking steps in order to get better because they've Very gotten small. top top five picks the last I don't know how many years, but I think down the, in a couple of years it's going to pay dividends because in the Easter because I think after this season LeBron James is going to leave Cleveland, so who's going to rise to the top of the East? Obviously Boston. Yeah, I do. I mean, I I mean we're we're kind of up against it here because I got to get going at eight thirty. But I think the but I think that's a team. Philadelphia is a team that in a couple of years is going to be a contender in the Eastern Conference of the NBA. Now, who is that team? Who's that team in the NHL? Who's like that Philadelphia 76ers? Could it be the Carolina Hurricanes? I mean, they've they have accumulated a lot of first round picks. Carolina did. Yeah, the Hurricanes just made a trade with the. Dallas Stars, I believe. Let me take. Pull, that, pull that up real quick. Yep. I haven't got Hur- it. I got it right here. The Hurricanes trade Eddie Lack, Ryan Murphy, and a toy and a 2019 seventh seventh round pick, number round seven, to the Flames for Keegan Kanzig and a 2019 sixth round pick, according to TSN. Oh, to Calgary. Yeah, Calgary, not Dallas. My bad. Huh? I haven't. Well, no, I haven't uh, seen anything. Yeah. Well, that just came across. Um, yeah, Calgary. Not to get too far out of the, the Michigan realm, but Calgary's been collecting goaltenders like there's going to be no more left after this year. So, I, I really think for Calgary, they saw that as their sore point, and uh, obviously, you're trying to address it with Mike Smith and. Now picking up Eddie Lack, which if you had to choose, you'd probably go with Eddie Lack as the starter just based on age. But Calgary, um, you know, you talk about picking up first-round picks and, and being bad for a long time. If you want to look for that in the West, look no further than Calgary. I mean, they've got Johnny Hockey, Keith Kachuk's kid. Um, you know, yeah, they've got Matthew. a pretty thick, yeah. and Mark Giordano. I mean, they've got a nice little collection of higher – uh, higher pick talent, so to speak, and that's what the Red Wings need to look at. I mean, we can't beat it anymore into the ground. I don't mind if they're going to be bad, as long as there is a plan. And to your point, Frank, you know, you talk about the Seventy Sixers. People have become a little bit of, uh, impatient with the Seventy Sixers. Some by their own design, and some out of their control. I mean, they didn't know Joel Embiid was going to break his foot before he even played an NBA game. So. That said, I mean, if you're going to trust the process, you know, and Ken Howland always talks about these things where rebuilds don't always work. Well, they don't work if you don't trust that process. And you look at a team and like Buffalo, as, as conversely to, to somebody like in Edmonton, Buffalo hasn't trusted their own process because 
They've still gone out and signed guys in free agency that they probably didn't need. They didn't really need a Robin Lehner who didn't play that well. But for them to grow as a franchise, they probably could have just left themselves with some younger guys like Alina Solomark and, and that nature. And Detroit could do the same thing. They have the guys that are there. They just need to get the experience. If you're going to trust that process, that allows you to do that and gives you some latitude with people because you got to say, hey, we had a great run, but at, at this time, we're going to have to get – got to get worse before you get better. And that's how most professional sports leagues are built now. You can't just stay yeah. out in front. Yeah. You're, and you're absolutely right, right Buck. And, I, right. I mean, and I'm going to have to – I'm going to have to bounce real quick, but I just want to conclude by saying this. Rebuilds do not have to take 10 years or 15 years or however the hell long Ken Holland does. Rebuilds can be done in less than five years if you have the right people in the right positions making the right moves. It can be done. That's part of the process, and I'm going to have to – let you guys go because I got something else to get to. But thanks for having me on. I will talk to you guys again hopefully Sunday night when we do our week in review. Yeah, yeah, we, we yeah we actually possibly will uh, Sunday probably like eight o'clock. I, I thought okay. I, yeah, I thought that was the time that I set set up for that I already announced. And you, All and right. people, you yep, yep, and yeah, you hopefully you can listen in as Buck and I talk about. The uh, Pistons trading Darren Hilliard shortly, and then we'll t- touch on touch on some Lions, um, former Baltimore Ravens uh, linebacker Zach Corp, looking at a possible return from retirement from the NFL. Yeah, yeah well, guys, I I, I really uh, got you going, so I'll talk to you on Sunday. Yep. Go on, Frank. And to the audience out there. You can follow Frank Vasher on Twitter at Frank underscore Vasher. He's going to be on the show after further review on WXUT 88.3 FM in Toledo tomorrow morning at 10.30. That's Friday, a.m. Eastern time, 10.30. And Saturday at 11, they're going to replay. They're going to air the encore edition of this week's installment of after further review like they do like they do every week. You can follow that show on SoundCloud at WXUT after further review. Also has a Twitter Twitter handle. WXUT after further Further review or WXUT AFR, and then follow the station WX at WXUT, and like their Facebook pages as well. So, so Buck, um, moving along here, just briefly, uh, the Pistons trade Darren, Darren Hilliard to the Houston Rockets, a shooting guard to the Rockets for cash considerations. And it's just a, a a small sample size type of move that the Pistons had to and had to make just to help the Houston Rockets 
Well, so and, and the and Rockets can, can have yeah. Chris can get can trade for Chris Paul, sending seven players to the Los Angeles Clippers. Well, and for Hilliard, I mean, he really <laughs> didn't play that well this season in his small role or small time that he was available uh, and did play. So he was kind of disappointing in that regard. Um, obviously, he only had a small window to show what he could do and was unable to do that. So Pistons viewed him as expendable. And to trade him to the Rockets basically is, is cannon fodder, um, you know, in that Chris Paul trade. Because now they're going to need to fill that roster. And so uh, that's, that's one of the reasons that they made that move is just basically the Pistons had a spare guard and the Rockets could use one. So. I think that Hillard will probably, at best, be a backup for them and probably fill almost the same role he did here in Detroit, which was um, really kind of an end-of-the-bench front-court player, or a uh, backcourt player, excuse me. So, uh, you know, I, I don't really see that as a big move uh, for the Pistons. He, he wasn't going to figure in their long-term plans. And the Pistons really, the Rockets didn't have any more assets to deal other than what they had in their wallet because they, we're sending it all to the Clippers in that Chris Paul trade. So I think that uh, it's, a, it's a minor move, but, uh, you know, the Pistons now that opens up a spot for them on the active roster. And with the drafting of Kennard, um, there's only so many shots you can have. And I think that Kennard's probably going to get his chance to show what he can do. And that's just not going to give Hillard any spots to get in, especially with the limited time he played last year. And then you got former Baltimore Ravens linebacker Zach Orr visiting the Lions today. According to ESPN yesterday, he was going to visit the Lions tomorrow amid a potential comeback from NFL retirement. Well, that's a a strange one because it wasn't like he retired three years ago. I mean, he retired earlier this year because of doctors telling him that his spinal injury was too dangerous to continue playing football with. And now he's gotten apparently another opinion or perhaps had a change of heart. And I think if I'm the Baltimore Ravens, I'm a little bit peeved, not really with the Detroit Lions, but more just of of the player in general, simply because it wasn't that long ago that he was on their roster and they were thinking, hey, we lost this guy because of a career-ending injury. And now he's saying, well, it might not have been a career-ending. And I would be interested to see what the NFL does if you were to sign with the Lions or some other team in terms of compensation, because I would expect the Ravens to come after any team that signs him and probably see if they can wiggle some compensation from the team that signs or simply because he was on their active roster less than six months ago. So that said, um, you know, the Lions will look at him. They made some depth signings in the free agency market at linebacker. Uh, they also drafted Jared Davis from Florida, and their first-round pick was is a linebacker. So they know that was an area of need, and they know they have to improve it. And an intriguing free agent like Orr, uh, could be something that would be a fit for them, but just because he's visiting the Lions doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be able to sign or maybe doesn't even want to sign. Maybe Orr is just trying to find a team that is going to give him a base of where his value is. So it's something that bears watching, um, but it would not surprise me at all if 
he visited other teams as well. But if the Lions do sign him, uh, the, the caution that comes with that, as I mentioned before, is if I'm the Ravens, I'm definitely going to Roger Goodell and saying, hey, we deserve something for this because he was on our active roster. He was told he couldn't play I'm just getting a call. I'll play join football you. anymore. And now he's signing with another team. So we've got to get something out of that deal because, I mean, if he's not going to play with us, he should be – he should, we should get something for that because he is playing with another NFL team. And that's what the Lions have to be wary of because they're not a team that, with Bob Quinn at the helm, is really into giving away draft picks so they can have a guy who may or may not play for them. I, I'd have to agree with that one. I mean, the Lions are uh, still looking to uh, look – to uh, add another defensive lineman to, to their defensive front, but um, yeah, I mean, I, if, I gonna, if they're going to sign anybody, I wouldn't think you know a linebacker. I felt like they pretty much covered that as well as they could. Now, obviously, they have to to consider every possibility, but at the same time, uh, there's some more pressing needs that they have that they haven't addressed. And as you mentioned, defensive line is by far their most glaring needs still and we never know what's going to happen in camp um that's the one thing that's the beauty about the nfl season is that literally up to the opening kickoff of opening week the rosters can change and they can change dramatically simply because guys get cut simply because guys get hurt and i think it more than in any other sport football by far heading into the the first week of the regular season is probably the most transaction-heavy and also most unpredictable because you never know who's going to miss or make that final cut. I mean, somebody can come into camp as a rookie or an undrafted free agent and make an impression, and all of a sudden somebody gets cut that you really didn't think was going to be available. You just have to leave yourself a little bit of room under the cap to be able to get them if that's the case. And so you've always got to be thinking, you know, right up to that last preseason cut. Always got to have some, some spare cap room and or make a hard decision yourself if you want to get somebody that will make your team better. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, we still got Tigers to uh, recap and discuss. Tigers, <laughs> Tigers put yet yet more money in Chris Illich's Chris and Kelly Illich's piggy bank, payroll piggy bank, that is, by by beating by uh, beating the Kansas City Royals seven to three, they jumped out. They they started clawing and biting their way to a seven nothing lead throughout most of the game. Andrew Romine hit a two run home run. Justin Upton hit a home run. Michael Fulmer almost hit the Hold on. Yeah. Go ahead. He, 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 he kind of gets hosed out of the complete game because Justin Upton, with an error, extends the inning, and really, Michael Fulmer kind of deserved a complete game there, but instead he goes eight and two-thirds and gets replaced in the last third of an inning uh, to, to finally seal the seven-to-three win. And uh, You know, that's the thing you see right now is Michael Fulmer still for this fairly mediocre team 
um, still doing the job for them. And and really, uh, as, as the trade deadline comes up here for Detroit, um, lots of rumors starting to fly around about guys who are possibly headed somewhere. And one thing that did happen this week, I don't know if you guys hit on it at all in the other post games, but with the Cubs releasing Miguel Montero, I would think that Alex Avila would be a prime target for them to add at the deadline to give them a veteran presence behind the plate, another left-handed bat, and an overall just a good clubhouse guy. I don't really believe too much in that phrase, but I will say that Alex Avila, you're going to add somebody. Um, you probably would you would rather add Alex Avila, and I, I think that would be something that would be bearing watching in the next two or three weeks is his performance and how he stacks up uh, with other trade targets at catcher. Yeah, and then we have just James McCann at, uh, behind the dish. At, I, I think that's the only uh, catcher we have left unless, until we call somebody up if we trade Avila. I mean, I, I would be up for them trading McCann as well if it was going to get them something in return. Uh, I don't think this Tigers team is, is really built to compete this year. Uh, John, John Hicks is serviceable. And I think that if you can get a better return with James McCann than you can for Alex Avila, simply because of the fact that McCann's got a little bit more time on his contract and he's a little bit younger, obviously, I think you've got to go for it. And the reason is, you know, it's the same thing with the, as we've talked about with the Red Wings. They're not a team that is on the doorstep of a, a world championship or a league championship. They're not. If you're not going, and if you're not going to be there, then what you have to do is get better. And James McCann right now, if he's somehow more of a trade chip or worth more on the trade market than Alex Avila, you, you kind of got to make that move. And like I said, coming up to the trade deadline, I'm sure there'll be tons of rumors and all sorts of people saying who's going to get traded where. Um, and I think that for Detroit, they really have yeah. to watch what other teams are doing because – they have a unique opportunity to, number one, somehow stay in contention in that putrid AL Central, but also out for themselves for the future by making a couple of trades. And then we got the uh, – yeah, yeah, those are good, good options. Then we got the, uh, the, the newest article from Jeff Moss. Of the, of the Detroit Sports Rag, the founder and editor-in-chief thereof. One of his latest articles highlighting this era of Tigers baseball is officially a failure. From 2006 to 2017, all that payroll money along with uh, four consecutive American League championships, American League Central Division championships, two AL championships and two World Series trips, but no titles since 1984. Again, that's the thing that matters. Well, and I read that article, too, and there's a lot of good points. I would say that one thing is that the 2006 team was not supposed to do what it did. 
I think they were a year out. Everybody thought that they were a year or maybe two away from doing something like that, but they got hot real early in the season, ran out to a ridiculous first-half record, and then limped in down the stretch, which was a trademark of those Jim Leland-led teams. And 2006 really kind of opened the door because at that point, like I said, I don't think that they they were expecting to be that far ahead that quickly. And I think it altered what they were trying to do with that team. There was a couple of moves that were made, um, namely the Gary Sheffield move, um, signing him as a free agent. Um, that uh, will probably was terrible. Ahead, which, which kind of went against the, the direction they were going because they had to sign and overpay guys like Pudge and Maglio Ardonias because they literally could not get anybody else because they were that bad. So they had to overpay to do that. But after they had made the World Series, I felt like they didn't need to do that. They went out and get shot anyway, and that kind of threw them off their game. Then they, had to, then they made some trades that they probably wouldn't have to chase the, the brass ring. And I think that set them back a little bit. But going through the era from 2006 to 2017, where we're at now, with the three World Series or the two World Series appearances and the four division championships, I mean, everything else that, that you look at is, is pretty spot on in that article. You can't have 11 years with the talent that Detroit was able to assemble in those 11 years, including Miguel Cabrera, Max Scherzer, and Justin Verlander, all in the primes yeah. of their careers, along with other guys that were very good supporting players and not come away with something, it's deeply disappointing. It's a failure. And now, much like the Red Wings, who have had to deal with more short-term failure in the last five years, having or six years, having only one, one playoff series, you're getting to a team right now that's core is aging, and you're coming up against – at this point, teams that are on the rise in the AL, like the New York Yankees, like the Baltimore Orioles, teams like that in the East, oh, yeah, my, I think I got and, Cle- and Cleveland in the Central, and now Minnesota, who's looking all the part of the team that's finally able to put it together after years of drudgery. If you're the Tigers, you have to make this decision, and it has to be quick. I think they have to really embrace – any sort of trade options that they have, because this era is a failure by not winning any championships. And as we've learned with the other Illichone team in town, the longer you hold on to the older glory, the worse it becomes for you. So I think that reading that Jeff Moss article, for me, I thought that I agreed with most of it. But the point that I got from it was that they need to sell, they need to rebuild, they need to restock their core, because Dave Dombrowski, for all the good things he was able to bring the team, number one, didn't get them a trophy, and number two, strip mine the farm system to get them to where they were at. Farm system for Detroit right now is just bare. There's very little high-end talent that is major league ready or even close to major league ready, and they're going to have to get some guys in there that rank. They don't even have a top 100 prospect right now. The Tigers literally do not have a top 100 prospect. In baseball. Well, and that's the product of years of success. And you look at it the same way with the Red Wings. Years of success, at some point, it's going to stop. You can't keep 
going into that well of free agency and trading to get guys late in the season using trade chips from your farm system and have it work out. At some point, and I think we're at it with both these teams, you just really have to say, you know what, we had a good run. In the Red Wings' case, they had four championships. In the Tigers' case, they had none. But you have to look at it and say, you know, we really got to restock and try to go after this again in three or four years and make another big big run. Because if we try to hold on to this, this stuff that we have now, I mean, I'm talking about even looking at trading like a Justin Verlander. I don't think Miguel Cabrera has a lot of trade value with all the injury problems and things that he's got going on. But looking at trading guys like Ian Kinsler and Justin Verlander, trying to get as much as you can in that return and let teams overbid and outbid each other and see what you can get because you can make your rebuild a lot easier if you're getting four or five guys for one of the players that, even though he's served the team well, his time is over. And I think that if you can get over that attachment, and just like Frank said, rebuilds don't take 10 years. If you put everybody in the right spot and hit on a couple of things, it doesn't take long. After a while, if they were to rebuild and be back in the ALCS in the next three or five seasons, people aren't going to remember Justin Verlander because they're going to be looking at Michael Fulmer, guys like Bo Burrows, Matt Boyd, guys that are playing now or coming up through the system. That's how sports is. It's cyclical. And right now, unfortunately for the Tigers and the Red Wings, they're both on the bad end of those cycles. Yeah, which totals up to what I'm going to mention in it additionally to all this. For the Illich family, looking into my crystal ball, they've run out of chances to bring a championship home to Detroit, especially for the Tigers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I mean, the Red Wings are very far away from that, and the Tigers aren't getting any closer. So I agree with you 100%. Yeah. And and lately the greed has come come back to haunt the Illiches, whether it be Ken Holland or then General Manager Dave Dombrowski or now General Manager Al Avila. They just don't get it done anymore. Uh, I mean, you, you look at the, the deals that they tried or tried not to, to do. I mean, Max Scherzer is the most glaring one to me. Mike Yelich low-balled him. I mean, he really gave him below market. I mean, Max Scherzer, I think the Nats overpaid for him, but you're going to have to overpay in the free agent market to get somebody that's quality. They did. And even though the Nationals team-wise aren't as strong, Max Scherzer is pitching the hell out of the ball. And I can tell you right now, I'd rather have him than Jordan Zimmerman in, in two seconds. So I, I think that for the Illiches, like you said, their chances are up. They're now in conservation mode. They're looking to save money rather than, than spend it. And that always signifies to me that it's time to, to move on. When you're worried about the checkbook instead of what you're putting out on the field or out on the court or on the ice, I understand that there's businesses, and they're all businesses, and you have to make money. Uh, you don't you don't keep just spending money and, and winning championships. I mean, we learned that the hard way with the 1990 Pittsburgh Penguins uh, in that decade. We saw what happened to teams that did that. So I'm not, I'm not advocating freewheeling spending 
until you run yourself into the ground. But if you're looking at pinching pennies because you don't think you can contend, that's the time where you got to look at it and say, what are we doing? Are we just doing this to, to do it? Or, or do we have a plan in mind? And right now, in, in the things that I've read, things that you've put on Twitter, things that Frank has, things that other people have, they're not interested in getting better. They're interested in the bottom line. Can we put a team on the field that's relatively competitive enough that will make us money? And at that point, you, you lose a lot of the fans. And I think you're right. The, the, the time is, has pretty much come to an end. If they're not willing to go through the process, like the Chicago Cubs or Boston Red Sox or other teams that have done sort of those, those rebuild or retool things and, and, and really brought themselves back up, to a position of prominence, let somebody else do it because I don't care to watch it, and there's a lot of other people that don't care to watch it. Right, unlike the unlike the slappies who like all the uh, FSD programming just for just for entertainment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah, that part we can forget about. I I skipped the entire game today. Tigers play four against the Cleveland Indians, including a doubleheader tomorrow, 105, 110, and 7-10. Uh, speaking of Jordan Zimmerman, he's going he's gonna to pitch against Mike Tomlin tomorrow night at 7-10. Yeah, Annabelle Sanchez, I know, is starting the, the afternoon game. I, I do not know who's pitching for Cleveland in that one. But I did see that Annabelle was pitching the afternoon game. Let me check the uh, starting pitching matchups one one more time before we close up shop here. Oh yeah, Audible Sanchez actually pitches tonight. That's uh, tomorrow night. Oh, okay. So he pitches the late game. So Zimmerman must be pitch, So Zimmerman's pitching the afternoon game, I I suppose. Yep. Yeah, Zimmerman versus Carlos Carrasco. Let's see here. Double header, seven fifteen. Looking at the evening game, Matt Boyd. Matt Boyd's going to get called up and going to try to start against the um, Cleveland in- Indians for the Tigers in the nightcap of the double header. And so then we Yep. Uh huh. So does Zimmerman pitch Saturday then? Yep, Saturday afternoon. The, oh, okay. The, then I read that wrong. Okay. Then on Sunday at one ten, Justin Verlander versus Mike Clevenger, who has a one nineteen whip, a three and three record, and a three fifty six ERA. Justin Verlander four forty seven ERA and a five and four record, and his whip is one forty five. Well, at least they don't have anybody who's 0 and 6 with a 1.96 whip, yeah. in a in a seven seven and a quarter ERA that's going to three hit them like that has been the trend the last few weeks. Speaking of Ottawa Sanchez, his last his last two starts since he was called up weren't that weren't too bad. No, I mean, and, and that's the thing. I mean, you look at it you're like, eh, it wasn't too bad, but I mean, it's it's Annabelle Sanchez. I mean, that's. That's the top of his game right now. And that's one of those things where you're, you're looking at him and you're like, boy, I hope he can pull it together. And it's, it, to me, it's just like, what, if he pulls it together, what happens? I mean, 
that's just a ticking time bomb waiting to happen in my estimation. Because even though he's come back from Toledo and pitched relatively well, I just feel like for him, even though it's a victory to come back and do that, I, I just don't know what he's going to bring to the table overall because, again, he's your five guy, and he's making 16 mil a year. So uh, that's the kind of thing that when I look at the, the roster, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that he's doing well as a, as a fan who, who would probably want them to win, make it interesting. But for me, I, I think that Anibal Sanchez at this point is, is done as dinner, and the only thing that he's doing is probably enhancing his resume for the next team that uh, invites him to my, main, I'm sorry, major league camp next year after he gets bought out by the Tigers. Yep. So, I, I think that's uh, it for Tigers talk. Um, there, was, there was, I know before we get to Lewis, there was one thing I wanted to hit on. Um, I don't know if you had anything else, uh, but I'll let you go. I'll let you finish up, and if you don't, then I'll, I'll kind of move on to my quick hit. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you uh, mention mention what you're going to say right now. Okay. Well, I mean, and again, it's it's August. Or, uh, sorry, it's August. It's summer, and so you really think about not college basketball. But if if you're looking up a, you're taking note. Uh, Brandon Johns, who is the top recruit in Michigan for the 2018 class. So Isaiah Livers was the top recruit in 2017. From Michigan, he was Mr. Basketball. He committed to Michigan. He will be a freshman there this year. Next season after that, so the 18-19 season, Brandon Johns, who was actually right in Tom Izzo's backyard, who thought everybody thought he was destined to go to Michigan State. He's an East Lansing kid, big, six foot eight, power forward, everything that Tom Izzo likes, and. Today he pulls the trigger. Now, again, this is a commitment. This is not him signing his life away, so to speak. This is him just committing. He's saying that he right now is committing to Michigan over Michigan State. And I think that's kind of a, a small bit of note for, for college basketball fans simply because Michigan State, with all the troubles they've had in the football program, I'm not saying that that weighed in a whole lot to Brandon John's decision. But I think that we may see more of that down the road, especially with seeing how the football team does this year because they've dismissed a pretty good portion of players that would be playing for them this season if they were on the team. And you're looking at that situation, guys are going to look at that, even if they're in other sports. Those things affect how other sports do as well. I mean, Michigan basketball, when they were – when they had the Fab Five, why not go to Michigan? It's great to go to Michigan for any sport because you're going to be around those guys. You're in the same group. You're all athletes. The same thing happens when it's negative. Look at Baylor. Look at teams like that. They they suffer in recruiting because of those types of things. And, again, I don't think Brandon Johns, who has always said he probably prefers Michigan over Michigan State, I don't think that weighed a whole lot in his mind. I just think it's something to watch as we progress, as football season comes in and how Michigan State does this year. What happens in the 
trials of those three young men that were dismissed, what's going to happen with Michigan State football? Because what happens with Michigan State football is going to affect Michigan State basketball. It's going to affect Michigan State hockey. It's going to affect Michigan State soccer. It's going to affect Michigan State whatever. So I think that for a lot of people that are saying, you know, this is a big win for Michigan basketball, I agree. I think the other thing that maybe they're missing or maybe they're just not really paying attention to is the fact that it could be a loss, more of a loss for Michigan State with all the things that are going on there. So it's just something to bear watching. Again, it's a commitment. Kids can change that at any time before signing day. But I think it is a sign of the times just because of what's been going on with Michigan State. I would be interested to see how that plays out with more recruiting for not only football but basketball and other major sports as well. Yeah, yeah, that includes the sexual assault investigation and and um, other 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 players leaving for uh, junior junior colleges. Right. Yeah, didn't even mention that part, but yeah, guys leaving the team, and again, they may not all be intertwined with with what's going on there, but Michigan State right now has just. They've had a lot of hard, hard times. The Michigan State gymnastics scandal is another. It's just, it, it, you know, it always happens where you see those things and it affects other sports. And I'll just be interested to see as these recruits start to get closer to when they're going to have to sign on the dotted line, what they decide based on outside factors that none of those coaches or none of those other players in other sports can control. Well, I think we covered everything now. So, um, Buck, I will uh, talk to you and Frank on Spreaker Sunday night at 8 o'clock, maybe 9 o'clock, possibly 8. Thanks very much for uh, being on here. to the audience out there, there you can follow Buck Gino on Twitter at Buck Gino the Third Triple I in Roman in Roman numerals. And and with that said, it is now time for Lewis Tenor's National Sports Report. Lewis, take it away. Oh, thank you. Okay, calling from the road actually. So if you hear any background noise, that's the car. So anyway, uh, we're in a, we're in a delay right now with the Yankees and White Sox. Um, it's been delayed now for about an hour as they're playing in Chicago, when it rains there, of course. Uh, Red Sox have just taken the lead over the Twins, 4-3 to three in the bottom of the sixth with a runner on first and two out. In the battle of the Bird Brains, the Orioles lead the Blue Jays 2 nothing in the top of the eighth and two out, and nobody on base. And two out. Rain, uh, Indians over the Rangers, 5-1. to one. That was a final. Your Tigers over the Royals, 7-3. to three. Astros over the Athletics six to one, Diam, uh, Cardinals over Diamondbacks ten to four, Cubs over Nationals five to four. I didn't have time to put some of these scores in because we're on the road leaving for the shore, so I apologize for this. Um, coming up at ten o'clock, or ten seven rather, the Dodgers will face the Angels. Dodgers are fifty two and twenty eight, and the Angels are forty two and forty. In MLS soccer, uh, the red the um, NYFC leads Minnesota 2-1. In WNBA, 
the Sun lead the Storm, 48 to 38. And we got a final to Mystics over Liberty, 67-54. Oh, we're right there. All right, so hang on a second while I try to get the um, standings. With the standings, in. oh, we got it. Wonderful. All right, here we go. In the AL East, uh, the Yankees are 42 and 34, and the and the Red Sox are 43 and 35. But Yankees have a higher uh, percentage. That's why they're in first. Boston is. Uh, Tampa is out, 41-39, three back. Baltimore is four and a half back at 30-39, and Toronto is 37-40 at five and a half back. It's a close race, folks, in the American League East. In the AL Central, Cleveland is 42-36, a game ahead of Minnesota, 40-36. Royals are 38-39, three and a half back. Detroit is seven back at 35 and 43, and the White Sox are 33 and 44 at eight and a half back. In the West, Astros continue to pour it on at 54 and 26, a 13 game lead over the Angels at 42 and 40. Rangers are 14 and a half back at 39 and 40. Seattle is 39 and 41 at 15 back, and the Oakland Athletics are 35 and 44, 18 and a half back. Yeah. All right, now to the National League. The Washington Nationals are 47-32, have a nine-game lead over Atlanta at 37-40, just when you thought they were making progress. Miami is 35-41, 10 half back. The Mets are 35-42, 11 back, soon to be 36-42. And Philadelphia is still pathetic, 26-51, 20 and a half, but 20 back. Wow. In the Central, the Brewers are 41-39. Uh, yes, and the Cubs are a half game back at 40 and 39. Cardinals are 37 and 41, three back. The Pirates are four back at 36 and 42, and the Reds are 33 and 44 at six and a half back. In the National, in the West, the Dodgers are 52 and 28. Cardinals are uh, Diamondbacks are two back at 50 and 30. Rockies are 47 and 34, five and a half back, and Padres are 32 and 46, 19 back, and the Giants are 30 and 51, 22 and a half back. I just got word that John Count Perry is maybe looking um, at potentially just becoming uh, the Knicks uh, team president. I just heard that about like an hour ago. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see how that works out. And uh, continuing on here, oh boy, here's some uh, Braves designate Colon, Bartol Colon. Number 44 for assignment. That means minor league material, folks. Um, he's had a two and eight start. Uh, he's coming back from, um, from off the disabled list, and his ERA is a pathetic. You ready for this, folks? 8.14. Uh, there's. I'll have more on this. All right. Um, yeah, 2.8.1. 8.14. ERA. He returned Wednesday after being on the DLS since June 6th with a strained oblique and a stiff back. He gave up six runs on eight hits and three walks over four innings and a seven to four loss against the Padres last night. Not very promising, folks, at all. Oof. Uh, oh, boy. Well, we got good news and we got bad news for the Nationals. Nationals uh, speedster uh, Trey Turner 
um, is, is on the DL list with a broken wrist. Ugh. At the bottom of the seventh inning, Washington's 5-4 loss to the Cubs. Turner was hit in the right wrist on a 96-mile-an-hour fastball by Chicago reliever Pedro Stroop. Turner glanced briefly at Stroop that walked slowly to first base. The shortstop remained in the game and caught a pop-up in the top of the eighth, but was replaced in the top of the ninth by infielder Wilmer Defoe. Um, X-rays were taken after the game. He had a tape on his wrist, so initially it didn't feel that bad, but it went out there and tried throwing, and it hurt like hell, of course. Uh, we'll just see how serious that is. Ooh, um, you any beer lovers? Okay. The man who threw a beer can at Baltimore Orioles outfielder during a playoff game against the Blue Jays last year at Rogers Center has been sentenced to 200 hours of community service and has been ordered to stay away from Major League Baseball parks for one year. Only a year? Oh, that's getting off with murder. Ken Pagan received a conditional discharge, meaning he won't have a criminal record if he complies with probation. He pleaded guilty to mischief and being a schmuck last month. Tyler, Peg, uh, Tyler Smith, that's Pagan's attorney, told Justice Robert uh, Bigelow that his client has suffered since the incident, losing his job as a copy editor and being subject to public ridicule. Bigelow took that into account when he delivered the sentence. Well, maybe if you didn't do that, you'd be ridiculed in the first place. You big dope. Sheesh. Uh, all right, uh, continuing on here. Ooh, something else in here. Corey Kluber struck out 12 versus Rangers, ties Bob Feller's record. Oh, nice. Uh, we'll need a selective company and be striking up batters. Kuba around three hits and struck out 12 in eight innings to top Cleveland Indians 5-1 to one earlier today. He tied a franchise record by Hall of Famer Bob Feller with four consecutive games with double-digit strikeouts. Feller struck out 10 or more batters in three starts in 1938 and 1939. That's what I call rare company. Wow. Uh, I know I got more news someplace, so just... Bear with me. Uh, whoops. Okay, more news coming up. As soon as I get, as soon as I get, um, as soon as I get into the guy here. All right. Uh, just a second here. All right. Nick's interested. Yeah, Capari is interested. Ian Beakley broke the news. Breaks down the news. Capari has interested the Knicks' present position when the when the when Capari would be able to coach as well. Well, we'll just have to see about that. And I don't know. It, it sounds like a good idea, but on paper, but uh, I I just don't know. We'll have to we'll have to see about that. Okay. Reagent. Oh, I want that. Let's see here. Okay, Rangers defenseman Smith has agreed to a new deal. All right, let's go to that one. Rangers defense Rangers agreed to deal with defenseman Brendan Smith. The Rangers who acquired Smith from the Detroit Red Wings at the trade deadline announced today that he agreed to terms on a new contract with the defenseman. The deal is for four years 
and $17.4 million, according to Toronto Sports Network. Agent Anton Stein confirmed to the Associated Press that there is that there is some no trade protection for Smith for all four years. New York set second round draft pick in the 2018 draft and a third round selection in 2017 to Detroit for Smith, a former first round draft pick. New York brought out longtime defenseman Dan Girardi this offseason and also traded veteran center Derek Stefan, which really upset me, and backup goalie uh, Rantan to the Arizona Coyotes for Young. For Young defenseman Anthony D'Angelo and the seventh pick in the draft. With that selection, he took the 18 year Swedish forward Lilas Anderson. All right, so that takes care of that. Okay, ML. Um, we have a little. What we have a little problem here, so just bear with me. Okay, we got. Okay, ML. ML. Okay, NF. Um, Okay, NBA here. All right. All right, there we go. Bulls. Suns me. Okay, here we go. Blake Griffin and Paul must have to visit Suns after free agency opens. The Suns will meet with Clippers for Blake Griffin and Atlanta Hawks for Paul Millsap this weekend, according to reports as the NBA's free agency period begins on Saturday. The Times reported the L.A. Times reported Griffin would meet with the Suns on Saturday at 98.7 FM Arizona Sports and Millsap would talk to the Phoenix Suns on Sunday. Sources told ESPN's Ramona Shelburne that Griffin had strong interest in the Suns. Multiple sources told Shelburne that while the Clippers are focused on retaining him in the wake of a trade of Chris Paul, there is some question as to whether they will offer the full maximum of $175 million. Ooh. Wow. Um, more news here? Ah, yes. Here we go. Uh, Andrew Bogart, close to being cleared for basketball activities, four months after suffering a broken leg in his Cavaliers debut. Bogart will be back on a free agent market basis Saturday according to these sources when the NBA opens for business at 12.01 a.m. Sources told ESPN that Bogart fell, fell by a fracture in his left tibia just one minute into his first game with the Cavaliers. It's roughly two weeks from being cleared for full basketball activities after recently being cleared to resume running and jumping. NBA teams have had receiving updates from David Bantam while Bogart rehabs in his name Australia. He was a defense anchor and leg rim protector on the Golden State Warriors championship team in 2015 before suffering a knee injury last year in the NBA Finals. He was dealt to the Mavericks in July of last year as part of Warriors' efforts to create the needed salary cash space to sign Kevin Durant last summer. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, English family. Ooh, here's something interesting, too. 
the Ainge family, uh, Tanner Ainge tweets Gordon Hayward about the possible millionaire's tax in Massachusetts. Ooh, this would be interesting. As the Boston Celtics pro- president uh, basketball operations, Danny Ainge awaits their chance to make a pitch to Hayward after free agency begins on Saturday. Ainge's son, Tanner, who is running for Congress in Utah, wow, has repeatedly expressed a desire for Hayward to stay with the Jazz. Late Wednesday night, Tanner Ainge tweeted at Hayward with a link to the news story that how Massachusetts is considering a millionaire tax that could eventually evaluate the tax burden for high earners. Wow. Hayward told the Jazz on today that he is declining his player option for the next season to become a free agent. The Celtics are in position to offer Hayward a four-year, $127 million contract. I would take that if I was him. Hayward is expressed is expected to also visit the Miami Heat. Florida does not have a state income tax. No kidding. I knew that. During an appearance on Boston's 90.5 The Hub last week, I can't stand that station, thank you very much, uh, Ainge, who was publicly supporting his son's political ventures, laughed off how Hayward pursued how Hayward pursued could divide the family. Oh, but this? My God. Tanner's got five kids, a couple of little boys, and some days I see them wearing Isaiah Thomas t-shirts. Oh, my God. And Isaiah Thomas might also be um, part of the Knicks staff next year as well. Oh, God, there goes the neighborhood. Um, I see him wear Gordon Hayward jerseys and some days Dante Edson jerseys. He told the Hutcher and Rich program they need big jazz fans and they all live in the neck of the woods. I get all that. Ames previously made a light of Hayward being at a hot topic for him among voters who engaged him on social media on May 22nd. May 22nd. That was like Right. Okay, I'm gonna check a few more things here. Uh, where did my okay? Uh, keep me in mind here. All right. So, oh, I have to go. Yeah, I have to go this way. All right. Uh, and I'll I'll go to some LB scores here. Well, not scores, but you get the point. All right. Belch Chopper gives the Red Sox lead. It's now 5-3 Red Sox over the Twins in the bottom of the sixth and two outs. Uh, okay, I'm going to – actually, I'm going to go to some NHL. Yes, that's what I wanted. That's better. And the first game is already selected. Yager is – 45 is called by uh, interested teams. At 45, he's still there. Wow. Devils backup Kincaid will stay there on a two-year deal. Ah, here's what I wanted to hear. Okay, there we go. Concerning the Blue Jackets. Blue Jackets buy out forward Scott Hartnell's uh, contract. There it was of two years. Uh, last year, had 13 goals and 24 assists last season. Had a cap of $4.75 million, according to capfriendly.com. CatFriendly.com. They got a .com for everything now. The hit after the buyout will be $1.5 million next season, $3 million in 2018-2019, and $1.5 million in the next two years. On behalf of the organization, we want to thank Scott for his contributions to the Blue Jackets over the past three seasons. 
and wish him well. Okay, so you do. But man, this, they're asking a lot. Um, oh, bad news in the NHL here. 1980s Oilers enforcer Dave Demeco died at the age of died, 59 due to cancer. Oh, yeah. The tough guy who protected Wayne Gretzky back in the 1980s during the Edmonton Oilers' glory years, as we all remember that well. Uh, it was a short battle of cancer. It didn't state what type. Um, a beloved Oilers that we missed, dealing because of his kind heart and sense of humor, he made it all, he made it all better. His number was number 27. He played. He, he was the bodyguard for the great one for parts of 10 seasons with the Oilers and the World Hockey Association and the NHL, and, of course, helped him on their way to the glory period between 84 and 90 when they won that first Stanley Cup. And I remember that game on radio. It was on AM dial, AM dial of 900 on a, on a station in Edmonton, Oilers, in Edmonton, I got this signal on my AM radio a long time ago. I'm like, wow, this is what they're this is what they're they, they're going crazy over. Now I know. So, uh, you know. Okay. Uh, more hockey news here. Ottawa to pay a goaltender goal Mike Condon 2.4 million annually, um, a three-year deal extension. He was acquired from Pittsburgh in exchange for a fifth-round draft pick uh, this season, uh, last fall. He backed up starter Craig Anderson, who periodically took time off to be with his wife who fought cancer. Oh, yeah. I remember that now. The native of Holston, Massachusetts, played a franchise high 27 consecutive games between December 1st and February 4th and became the fastest goaltender in franchise history to record five shutouts, doing so in his 32nd game. Condon and Anderson matched the franchise record with 10 shutouts of 2001-2002. Wow. And he, was undrafted, and he was undrafted out of Princeton, which is my home state of New Jersey, and proud of it. <laughs> yeah, you got to love Jersey hockey. Blues center Patrick Bogard is expected to be out until December after having surgery to repair a dislocated left shoulder. Yowza. The Blues said, yeah, the Blues said Ortegaard was injured during an off-season conditioning program in Sweden and flew to St. Louis for Tuesday's procedure. The team called it a successful surgery. Well, still, out for that much time. During his nine-year career with the Blues, he scored 296 points and uh, scoring... 296 points in 637 regular season games. And the Blues also signed defensive Chris Butler to a two-way contract. He has 13 goals, 71 assists, and 185 penalties in parts of 380 regular season games. That is quite a list. Uh, all right. Thank you, dude. Ooh, I don't think I want to that. Where will Yager, where will Yager land? Well, at 45 years old, yeah, you never know. 70, no, there's more, there will be more on that later. Um, oh, there's another one. Mike, Mike Anthony Nemi, the Dallas Stars have announced their buyout to the final year of the goalie. 
contract, a plan that will spread the three million payment over the over two seasons for an annual salary cap of one point five million. Nemi was due to make four point five million coming off a disappointing season in which he was twelve and sixteen. Okay, twelve, twelve and four if you want to go by that way. Uh, with 3.3 goals average in 37 games, the ninth, the nine-year player became expandable after Ben Bishop was acquired in a trade that will likely make him a starter with Corey Lefferton as a backup. The Stars made the Nemi move official on Tuesday and have to Saturday to sign Bishop before he becomes an unrestricted free agent. Ooh, you got to watch out for those restricted free agents, pal. Ah. Warriors sign, okay, winger, uh-huh, there we go. We sign uh, forward, the Edmonton Oilers have signed forward Zach Case, uh, Kesson to a three-year contract extension. He played in 79 games with the Oilers last season, finishing with 24 points, 7 goals, 17 assists, and 101 penalty minutes. Wow. He had three goals and 27 penalty minutes in 13 playoff games. Uh, he's, the proud winger has appeared in 313 games with Buffalo, Vancouver, and Edmonton. 98 points, 45 goals, 53 assists, and 522 penalty minutes. And was also played in the 2011 World Championship. All right. Um, So I'm gonna. All right, now I'm gonna go to. Right, uh, maybe some football news here, and then I'll wrap it up. There we go. Okay. Aha! I found something here. Dave Jackson agrees with the Raiders on a five-year, fifty-six million-dollar deal. Uh, he's, he's the right guard. Joshua Anderson told ESPN's uh, Josina Anderson and Adam Shifter, general manager Reggie uh, Reg- that the deal the next was next in line for the deal with the Raiders. A third round draft pick in 2014 out of Mississippi State. Jackson had one year remaining on his rookie contract. The extension takes through 2022. The Raiders do plan moving to Vegas by 2020. We'll see about that. Jackson extensions were to the $56 million and the $26 million in guaranteed money. And the Raiders have more than $33 million in cap salary cap space before last week's $125 million extension for Derek Carr. Wow. His salary cap number for 2017 was expected to be $15 million, which would bring the cap number down to about $18 million. Uh, his, his cap number, though, is not yet known, and the Raiders have yet to sign any other top draft picks, including Darren Conley, who is yet to hear the face charges after being accused of sexual assault before the draft. I'm not touching that one with Hector Cole. Yeah. All right. Um, okay, another thing here. Ex-Titans running back Antonio Andrews got probation after making a plea deal was sent to six months after pleading guilty to a misdemeanor assault charge, according to Davidson County, Tennessee, online court records. Uh, he was facing a felony charge of aggravated assault before reaching a plea deal. 
if he does not commit another offense during his probation, the charge may be expunged from the record. Oh, and the beer throwing incident. Oh, yeah, I mentioned that. Uh, one year, and he will not have a criminal record if he stays out of more trouble. Andrews also played the past three seasons with Tennessee, the Titans, and was offered $10.5 million. Uh, he was charged after punching a man, David McGill, on March 25th and breaking his jaw. Ah. Um, McGill made a racial slur while both men were standing in line at a pizza dump in, in Nashville. Andrews later confirmed McGill about the slur outside the restaurant after the two men exchanged words. Andrews punched McGill in the face after bystanders separated the two. Andrews punched McGill in the face a second time. Andrews started 10 games and rushed for 520 yards and three touchdowns for the Titans in 2015, but was limited to two carries in 2016 after the Titans traded for DeMarco Murray and drafted Derrick Henry. Yes, we all remember that. I do. Uh, One more item here, and then I'll just do the scores and wrap it up. Justice Department gives up fights against Redskins trademarks. The Justice Department is giving up uh, an alert to federal court appeals. The department said last week's Supreme Court decision uh, in favor of Asian-American ban calling itself this slant means the NFL team will prevail in a legal battle to cancel the team's trademarks because it's disapproving to Native Americans. The Redskins case have been hold. The federal appeals court, while the Saints' decision was rendered, the Supreme Court found that Simon Tam could trademark the slant as the name of its Asian-American rock band because it would be unconstitutional for the U.S. Parent and Trademark Office to discriminate against it. All right, so I'll just uh, take care of the scores here one more time, and then I'll wrap it up. Uh, just a second here. Oh, MLB, of course. Still in the Yankees and White Sox, I say you postpone this game right now. Uh, Red Sox lead Twins 5-3 in the top of the seventh, two out, nobody on. Pirates lead the Rays 3 nothing. bottom of the third, uh, bottom of the seventh, two runners on first and second, two out. Brewers over Reds now 10-1, top of the seventh, one out, nobody on. Mets lead the Marlins now 6-3, top of the eighth, one out, nobody on. Rays and Padres are scoreless, top of the second, nobody out, nobody on. And all the rest are final. And um, that'll do it for me, so I'll just turn it back over to you. All right, that's going to do it for episode 287 of the Michigan Sports Truth Post Game Edition on Talk Show. We're just 13 episodes away from 300. Wow. Yeah. So, 300. I guess so. Episode 288 tomorrow night at 11. Unless I get a double. So, until then, for Lois Tenor, I'm Taylor Phillips. Follow me on Twitter at DT2Phillips. Like the Michigan Sports Truth Facebook page and join the Facebook group, TTFN. Toss out for now. Bon appetit. Yeah, right.